Okay, we are all waiting in suspense to see, does the Trump campaign have the kind of evidence that would be needed to overturn an election in multiple states? Not a very simple thing to do. Meanwhile, Kaylee McEnany, the White House press secretary and the Trump campaign spokesperson, she has put out a list of irregularities, a list of voting irregularities in just one county in Michigan. So we are going to read you that list coming up. But first, Joe Biden. Joe Biden has been speaking with foreign leaders. And this is utter hypocrisy, as listeners have pointed out. Joe Biden is violating the Logan Act. And all right, well, the Logan Act, it's obsolete. The Logan Act, uh, nobody's ever been convicted of the Logan Act. Uh, Well, but isn't Joe Biden the one who, according to handwritten notes, right, who Peter Strzok's handwritten notes, Joe Biden is the one in the meeting with James Comey who suggested that Michael Flynn be investigated for violating the Logan Act for the exact same thing that Biden is now doing. It is so outrageous. The utter hypocrisy. Joe Biden has spoken with the head of South Korea, and he's not just doing this as like a civilian. He's doing this in his capacity because he believes his capacity of president uh, uh, as president elect because he believes he's the president elect, even though nobody other than Fox News, CNN, MSNBC have recognized him as president elect. He's not he's not been officially granted that title in any way. But he's speaking with foreign leaders. He has a whole lineup uh, scheduled to speak to various foreign leaders in the capacity of of president-elect. He's a civilian. Well, guess what? Michael Flynn was the incoming national security advisor, and Biden said, why don't you go after, according to handwritten notes from the meeting, Biden said, why don't you go after him for the Logan Act? And then that led, you tell me, well, it didn't lead to anything. That led to him being questioned by investigators, Andrew McKay, Peter Strzok, who basically told him, no, relax, we're just going to have a friendly conversation, no need for a lawyer. And they knew exactly the questions they were asking him about his conversation with Kislyak. They already knew the answers to it because they had the recording, didn't let him know that, of course, weren't looking for information. And then they claim that he lied to them, even though McCabe came out of the meeting saying he didn't lie. Then later they changed their mind. Oh, no, he actually did lie. And that court case, as you know, is still ongoing. Thank you, Biden. And that was the exact same thing. He had an incoming national security advisor of an incoming president-elect. And, and he, of course, was having conversations with foreign leaders, foreign ambassadors, because you need to make that transition. The only difference between him and Biden is that in that case of Michael Flynn, Trump actually was officially president-elect. And Michael Flynn was officially recognized by all as the incoming national security advisor. And right now, Joe, Joe Biden, it's just CNN and Fox News so far. Now, look, I understand that it looks like Biden is likely going to be the president-elect. But uh, you know what? I don't care. It doesn't change the hypocrisy of it. All right, so Kaylee McEnany, let's go to the voting irregularities. And look, I'm still very skeptical. I want to be clear here. Even though I'm going to bring you whatever information I have about all the suspicious activity, all the potential cheating and voter fraud that has gone on, and there is a lot. But at the end of the day, Overturning an election is really, really hard to do. So I want to be very clear. So I don't want to mislead anybody. I think that it's a very slim chance that Trump is going to be able to get a court to invalidate enough votes, enough ballots uh, to be declared the winner. Uh, Okay, I don't think it's likely at all based on what I'm seeing. But you never know. And uh, the facts are the facts here, or at least the allegations have to be discussed. So just one county in Michigan 
Um, they have gathered 234 pages, the Trump campaign, of sworn affidavits. 234 pages of sworn affidavits. Hopefully it's not like, it doesn't say how many affidavits there are, just 234 pages of affidavits. Uh, which, by the way, are you know you, you uh, it's guilty under the penalty of perjury if somebody lies on an affidavit. So it's similar to actual testimony. The problem is 234 pages. How many affidavits is that? I'm hoping they're not writing like seven words on like each page. <laughs> hoping that they're writing in really small letters. But that's just in one county. So keep that in mind. So here's a sample of these allegations of cheating, voter fraud, irregularities, as the media likes to call it. One eyewitness says they saw a batch of ballots, and 60% of the ballots had the same signature. Now, it doesn't say how many ballots were in the batch, but 60% of the one batch all were signed by the same person or had the same signature. One eyewitness saw a batch of ballots that was scanned five times, the one batch. An eyewitness says they saw 50 ballots that were fed into the scanner multiple times, the same ballots over and over again. Eyewitnesses said that they didn't have dates of birth. A lot of the voters, the mail-in voters, they didn't have dates of birth, so they, they wanted to count the ballots, so they just recorded January 1st, 1900. They just made up, I guess, the earliest possible date, January 1st, 1900. Boy, that's that's somebody not very young. It's over, over 120 years old, and they just kept doing that again and again to count ballots that didn't have actual dates of birth. They couldn't find dates of birth to, to, to match the voters. An eyewitness says he saw poll workers marking a ballot that had... No mark for any candidates. The, the poll worker marked the ballot. Now, eyewitness says they saw ballots being counted without any signature or postmark. A voter said that their deceased son was recorded as voting not once but twice. The deceased son of a certain voter. Passengers in a car dropped off more ballots than there actually were people in the car. One witness said that ballots that were gotten, received after the election were being predated and counted, and uh, GOP challengers, challengers, I guess, observers were forced to stay away to observe the count, while Democrats were allowed to observe the count, according to these eyewitnesses. GOP Republican challengers were actually pushed away by officials from tables where they were doing the counting. Democrat challengers were uh, apparently, according to these witnesses, they were seen handing out a packet that said, tactics to distract GOP challengers. So in other words, these uh, Republican observers who are standing there, I believe that's what challengers is referring to, standing there watching, trying to watch the count. And you had Democrat observers and Democrat observers were handing out packets, I guess, to each other saying tactics, how to distract the Republican observers. Election officials covered the windows so that uh, the challengers could not observe the counting. And election officials, apparently, according to this affidavit, these affidavits, cheered when the Republican observer observer was objected, was ejected, I should say, was actually removed from the room. Now, here's the thing, though. I am here's why I'm skeptical because what kind of numbers are we talking about? There are the look these. There is a lot of evidence, contrary to the media who keeps saying no evidence, baseless accusations, like making it as though Trump is a is a raving lunatic, just like they did when he kept talking about how they spied on him, how Obama spied on him, until we all discovered that the truth was so way, so much deeper than uh, Trump, even even Trump probably knew at that early stage. This is what they do. They just make fun of the man. But here's the question, the kind of scale that you need in order, in order to overturn hundreds of thousands of ballots across a few states here, what, Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania, let's say, or, or Arizona, you need, what, three states, I believe, to overturn. 
you need a talking about a lot of ballots. So even if even if all these stories would be true, let's say it affected 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 ballots, they need to you know, there there is a, an approach here which is unlikely to me to work that some believe the Trump campaign is going to try in court, which is they're going to say, look, there is so much. There was just rampant cheating. There was systemic cheating, systemic fraud. It wasn't just an isolated incident here or there, but it was clearly just everywhere. It was just happening all over the place. And then the hope is they won't have to prove they won't have to actually disqualify hundreds of thousands of ballots. You'll just have. I don't know what. I don't know what will happen at that point. The, the hope is the court will just uh, uh, just disqualify and invalidate the mail-in ballots. Obviously, if that happened, then Trump will be the winner. But it's hard to believe that they're going to invalidate tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots. So that becomes the question, even if you prove a story here, a story there. And look, it is very, very disgraceful. So all these stories of cheating, all these allegations, really hard to believe that the whole thing is just fabricated and being made up. But that doesn't necessarily lead to uh, the votes that being disqualified, enough votes being disqualified to have Trump declared the winner or, you know, you know it's hard to believe that they would have like a runoff election. I, I guess anything is possible. But part of me wonders if maybe this is the Trump campaign just saving face. Maybe they really believe that they don't have a chance here to overturn or it is very slim chance to have a, a lawsuit be successful in uh, overturning the results. And they just want to kind of look, make it look as though the Democrats cheated to save face, you know, to try to uh, help their image out, not that make, you know, basically spell out the narrative, which may be a true narrative, but spread out the narrative that, um, that, 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 that Biden cheated. And if, if not for Biden cheating, Trump would have won fair and square. If only the legal ballots were counted. Maybe that's the narrative they're looking to spread. And uh, as my wife pointed out, maybe it has something to do with Trump in 2024, because a lot of people believe that he it, it would would possibly run for president again in 2024. Not Don Jr., Don, Donald Trump Sr., the president. And uh, a lot of people believe, myself included, that if he decided to run for the nomination against, uh, you know, other Republicans, uh, in, in, the candidates, who knows, maybe Pence, maybe Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, you name it. They, a lot of people believe that Trump would be a shoo-in. I mean, the kind of base of Republican support that he has gathered, nobody could possibly compete with him, which is certainly a fascinating prospect. All right, Senator Lindsey Graham, he says, and we have other news of the day to get to. We're going to get to the Obamacare Supreme Court hearing. Senator Lindsey Graham says there might have been ballot harvesting, talking about thousands and thousands of ballots, ballot harvesting in nursing homes in Pennsylvania. And this could be huge because this could disqualify a lot of mail-in ballots. Lindsey Graham is investigating. He says that there were possibly, potentially 25,000 cases, uh, 25,000 votes that happened as a result of ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting is when somebody, it's illegal in many places, including Pennsylvania. It's when somebody will go and basically gather everybody's ballots and then deliver the ballots. Obviously, you can understand why this is problematic. Basically, go to one particular location, like a nursing home, like a senior center, something like that, and just get dozens or hundreds of people to all fill out ballots and then stick it in your car and deliver the ballots or mail the ballots, and that is illegal. So there are uh, so th th there is suspicion that that took place, and Lindsey Graham is investigating that. He said, quote, We're now finding potentially 25,000 nursing home residents in different nursing homes requested mail-in ballots at the exact same time he told Fox News, you cannot ballot harvest. What are the odds that 25,000 people in different locations of the same age group 
requested at the same time a ballot. Something, some, somebody is up to no good in these nursing homes. Essentially, uh, twenty-five thousand different residents at the same time made a request for mail-in ballots. What does that tell you? That tells you that a Democrat operative went in there and basically ordered, had them all order the twenty-five thousand ballots, or did it for them, and claimed that it was them that, that it was them making the order, and this operative, or the operatives, were making the order for those mail-in ballots, and that would be uh, ballot harvesting. And you would think then they'd have to disqualify if they proved that to be true. Uh, Joe Biden is not getting intel briefings, intelligence briefings. Typically, the president-elect, if he actually were officially declared the president-elect, he'd get intelligence briefings. But John Ratcliffe, the DNI, he says he refuses to give Joe Biden intelligence briefings until a winner is actually certified by the actual commission that's in charge of certifying who the who, who the winner is and not CNN or Fox News. And again, remember, in past times, and they say, well, you know, there are people who say, well, uh, Bill Clinton, when it was Bush versus Gore, uh, Bill Clinton, President Clinton allowed Bush to get the intelligence briefings when it looked like he was going to be the winner while it was being fought out through the Supreme Court. But to me, you cannot compare because there, you know, Bill Clinton, I understand Gore was his VP, but Bill Clinton was not running against Bush. Bill Clinton was done. Here you're asking the sitting president who ran against Joe Biden. You want him to give intelligence briefings to the man who he believes uh, cheated and stole the election from him. And uh, I'm sorry, you know, if there was a concession, it would be a whole different story. But uh, the, the fact that Fox News and CNN and MSNBC have declared Biden the winner, to me, they're not the ones who determine whether or not Biden should be getting the intel briefings. Now, very disturbing. I know it's frustrating. And uh, look, we all, like I say, group therapy, we're getting through this together. We'll make it, you know, but uh, the, the, the there are many, many disappointing aspects. If Biden, in fact, does take control, does take over the White House, and the things that he has threatened to do right away in terms of reversing some of the great policies that we've seen under Trump, like the travel ban, like Trump's immigration policies and uh, the Iran nuclear deal, of course. Well, uh, Iran has been on the brink of collapse, as we've told you. And that is thanks to President Trump. That is thanks thanks to the heavy, heavy sanctions and to Trump uh, pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal. And uh, now what's Joe Biden threatening to do? He's threatening to get back into the Iranian deal. He's threatening to boost Iran and basically enable them to, you know, to remove the sanctions, enable Iran to continue to be a gigantic terror regime and, in fact, get closer and closer to developing nuclear weapons. Well, the U- and, it's, and it's really frustrating. You know, you know, one listener pointed out to me, he said, part of the frustration here is how much Trump could have accomplished in a second term where Trump doesn't have to worry about re-election. In a second term, if Trump would have won or if he would win, uh, and uh, despite the impeachment, despite Mueller, you know, despite everything they have thrown against him, Trump would just be so empowered and so galvanized and like he'd be unstoppable. I mean, he would just like feel like he could just conquer the world. Uh, but th- that, that is part of the frustration. But the other part of the frustration is if Biden just reverses so many things that Trump accomplished. I, I mean, that would just be a disaster, potentially. Meanwhile, Elliot Abrams, the, the U.S. special representatives for Iran, He's optimistic that Joe Biden will take advantage of Iran's dire economic situation and try to gain more concessions out of Iran. And I'm sorry, I hope Elliot Abrams is correct, but 
I just, I really have my doubts. I really don't believe. He's essentially saying he thinks, and I wonder if he's being a little naive here, he thinks that Joe Biden would actually uh, leverage all of the damage that Trump has done to Iran. The fact that they're on the brink literally of collapse. Um, I'll say Elliot Abrams saying that Biden would use that. He would force Iran to make more concessions. Essentially, he'd before getting back into the nuclear deal, he would uh, basically demand, because that's what, what Biden's going to do. He, he views it as his nuclear deal, which it was. It was his and Obama's. It's uh, amazing that they actually admit it, but, but, but it was. It's theirs. So uh, at least Elliot Abrams saying, well, at least Biden is going to uh, force Iran to make additional concessions and... I would love that to be true. He says, especially because many of the sanctions are on Iran are not for their nuclear program, but it's because of terrorism and violations of human rights. So there's no reason that Biden you know, should not keep some of those sanctions on or at least uh, force Iran to make other sort of concessions involving the nuclear program. So Biden would somehow renegotiate the, the nuclear deal. That's the statement. I hope he's right, but I'm extremely skeptical. Meanwhile, Iran continues to breach the nuclear deal, and they still have a nuclear deal signed with many other countries. So even though Trump pulled out, it, this is still supposed to be intact. Keep that in mind. Yet Iran, we know that Iran has been breaching the nuclear deal because they tell us all the time. The media uh, proclaims it. The media announces it, uh, quotes all these Iranian officials as, uh, telling us that. Very, very proud of it. And what are the Europeans doing? The Europeans who are still a party to the deal. How are they punishing Iran? They're doing virtually nothing to enforce the deal. The U.N. is doing nothing to enforce the deal. It's outrageous. And uh, the U.N. has confirmed the that, that Iran continues to breach the nuclear deal. It's just it's absolutely reprehensible that uh, the world is just watching them do this. And other than uh, Israel and the U.S. and Trump, nobody's doing a thing about it. And, and now perhaps we're about to lose the U.S. on that also. So uh, the UA, the IAEA, the U.N.'s atomic watchdog, said today that Iran continues, said on Wednesday, Iran continues to increase its stockpile of enriched uranium far beyond the limits of the nuclear deal, and they continue to enrich it to a greater purity than they are allowed. Um, this is a secret confidential document, but somehow the AP got control of this. And you wonder who leaked this, because I, I would have thought that maybe the UN would want to keep this a secret. Um, the, the Iranians, as of November 2nd, have a stockpile of about... 5,300 pounds of lo of enriched uranium, low enriched uranium. That's that is uh, way, way, way above the 447 pounds that they're allowed by the deal. They're allowed to have 447 pounds of low enriched uranium by the uh, guidelines of the deal of the Obama nuclear deal, the bogus nuclear deal. And the reality is, according to the UN, and this is the UN, maybe even higher. Who knows? I don't trust the UN. Is that they have. 50, over 5,300 pounds. That's, that's over, well over 10 times more than what's allowed. And they've been enriching uranium to a purity of up to 4.5%, which is above the 3.67% allowed under the nuclear deal. All right, so the Supreme Court heard arguments in the case against Obamacare. We've been following this case for months, if not years. And the Supreme Court, obviously, it's going to take them a few more months to actually rule on the case, but it does not look good. It does not look like they are going to be overturning Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. Based on very often, they will give away their positions, these justices, during the questioning, during the hearing. And look, we're going to have to explore this. We've, we, we have gone into this a lot in the past, maybe not recently with everything else that's been going on. We'll have to go into this in depth 
in, in, in an upcoming show, I hope. But just to give you the basics, uh, it looks like even with six conservative justices, six conservative justices, because we now have Justice Amy Coney Barrett, looks like they still are not going to be able to declare Obamacare unconstitutional, even though, uh, in my mind, it clearly is unconstitutional. And uh, Kavanaugh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh and Chief Justice John Roberts, who was the one who originally was the deciding vote to declare Obamacare constitutional, legal, in a a five to four decision, of course, years ago. Uh, Well, Roberts and Kavanaugh, they both hinted, strongly hinted, that they would keep the Obamacare intact, or at least the vast majority of, of Obamacare intact. And what it hinges on, again, just very briefly right now, is that uh, the Republicans, of course, the the Senate, of course, and and Congress, uh, as part of the Trump tax cuts, they repealed the individual mandate. They repealed the individual mandate part of Obamacare. That was the part that forced every American to either have health insurance coverage or to pay a penalty. So they repealed the penalty. They didn't actually repeal the mandate itself, which is what forces people, but the mandate is kind of meaningless because they, they took away the financial penalty. So now, without getting into all the details, Obamacare should really be unconstitutional. The only reason Chief Justice John Roberts joined the liberal justices to say that to, to rule that Obamacare is constitutional is because they said it was a tax. They, in other words, the reason it's unconstitutional is because it, it infringes on your civil rights. A person, by, by virtue of the Constitution, my civil rights dictate you cannot force me. The government cannot force me to do something just by virtue of my existence. The government can force you to have car insurance because you don't have to have a car. So the government could tell you, listen, you want to drive around a car, you want to own a car and have it parked in the street, driving around on the streets, you've got to have car insurance to cover that. And you have a choice not to own a car. So it's not a, it doesn't violate your civil rights. But just you exist just by virtue of the fact that you exist, that therefore uh, forces you to have to have health insurance coverage, that should be unconstitutional. And the logic, Chief Justice John Roberts actually agreed to that, conceded to that, but his logic in defending and upholding the the law is that it was a tax. It wasn't that they're forcing you. It's a choice. It's a tax. You know, we want to not have health care coverage, fine, but then we're going to make you pay money. But he declared it a tax, even though the Obamacare, the language of the bill doesn't sound that way, but Roberts called it a tax. The problem is now that they repealed that aspect of it, the, the, the penalty, you can no longer call it a tax. And, and it seems to me that most legal experts, scholars agree that, that that is true, that Chief Justice John Roberts, the claim that it's a tax no longer stands. It can't be a tax if there is no financial penalty, but the the law still says you've got to have health care coverage. So that's what this hinges on. Well, then you wonder, well, then why would it possibly be constitutional? Great question. The answer is because of something called severability, where uh, the, the, the argument goes that you can sever that part of the bill. The argument is, yeah, you're right, that part's unconstitutional, the mandate, because there's no tax associated with it, no penalty. So they're going to sever that part. They're going to say, well, the rest of the bill is still constitutional, the rest of the law. And this has to do with the intent of Congress. And that, again, stuff that's sort of beyond the scope of this conversation right now. But that's the claim. The claim is that you can sever that part. So, yeah, that part is unconstitutional, but we'll just sever that part. But the rest of the law can remain intact. Justice Brett Kavanaugh, he said, quote, it does seem fairly clear that the proper remedy would be to sever the mandate provision and leave the rest of the act in place, end quote. And Chief Justice John Roberts, he said, quote, I think it's hard for you to argue that Congress intended the entire act to fall if the mandate was struck down, 
when that same Congress that lowered the penalty to zero did not even try to repeal the rest of the act. I think, frankly, that they wanted the court to do that, but that is not our job. End quote. That was a quote from Chief Justice Roberts, so it doesn't look good. Senator Bernie Sanders apparently is interested in being Secretary of Labor, of having a cabinet position under a President Joe Biden. I should just call it President Biden-Harris. Can we just call it President or President Harris-Biden? I mean, let's call, call it what it is. Or maybe just President Harris. But uh, Senator uh, Bernie Sanders, he wants a cabinet post. Can you imagine a Biden administration with a self-proclaimed socialist as the Secretary of Labor? Could you imagine anything more horrifying, anything more disastrous than a socialist? He, I mean, he, he many of them are socialists, but he calls himself socialist. And by the way, Ocasio-Cortez, is she going to have a role? She already does uh, on uh, Biden's climate committee or like heading Biden's climate committee. So what, what's he going to make her... The, uh, the you know the head of environmental protection. I mean uh, of the DEP. I mean this is just ter- terrifying stuff here. So Bernie Sanders was asked because there are rumors that he wants to be the Secretary of Labor, and um, he was asked on CNN by Wolf Blitzer, "Cole, let me ask you about these reports that potentially you might be eyeing a position in President-elect Biden's cabinet, Labor Secretary, for example. Is that true?" And Bernie Sanders essentially said, "Yes." Whew, wow. Um, that's frightening. All right. Uh, there's a new report, new study that says that a minimum wage of $15, which is what Bernie Sanders wants and uh, many, many, many mainstream Democrats wanted as well, $15 minimum wage would actually, oh, and Joe Biden himself, I'm sorry, Joe Biden himself supports a $15 national minimum wage. Um, a new report says that that would actually eliminate 2 million jobs. 2 million jobs in the United States would be eliminated Uh, if they instituted a $15 minimum wage. And a lot of the jobs that would be lost, as you'd expect, are the lower-income jobs. The people that they're trying to help, they actually hurt. Typical liberal policies, because when you force businesses to pay everybody a minimum of $15, $15 national minimum wage, national minimum wage, you see, in some states... Uh, $15 an hour is is not unreasonable. There's a high cost of living. Businesses bring in a lot of money. But you got some states in the Midwest, some of these rural states, $15 an hour is just a massive amount of money. And uh, businesses just simply don't aren't able to sustain it. So what do they do? What do they do? Well, if they have 20 employees and they want to pay the 20 employees, some of them they want to pay $10 an hour, $9 an hour, $11 an hour, and then the government forces them all to pay $15 an hour, You it, well, what will happen? They're going to have to cut, you know, they have a limited budget. I mean, they need to bring in a profit. If they lose money, businesses can't survive. So they're going to have to manage on fewer employees. Never mind the fact that it's going to crush and hurt the business, but it's actually going to get people fired. Who's going to be fired? The lower income people are the ones who are going to be fired for the most part. I mean, so, I mean, think about it. It's almost like just total hypocrisy there. And, and like I said, to make a national, a national minimum wage, to make the same number minimum wage for the entire country, despite the fact there are such huge economic differences between some states and other states, it's just absurd. So this report, it came from economics professor David McPherson, who's um, a professor, uh, he's a business professor uh, in, in, in a university, he's a professor in a university in Texas, and um, another professor in uh, uh, Ohio, so two, these two college professors, they conducted the study. They found that a federal minimum wage of $15 an hour would hurt the economy, especially industries that are already hit hard by the pandemic. And they say that it'll cost 
two million jobs. And by the way, that reaffirms something that was found that, that was found by the C, CBO. The CBO did a similar study. CBO is the Congressional Budget Office, and they are nonpartisan or bipartisan. Um, and, and they found that raising the minimum wage over the next five years could put up to 3.7 million Americans out of work. And that was back in July of 2019. So that was before the recession, before the lockdown. All right, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.